everyone and very welcome to our service this morning it's nice to see a wee bit of sunshine and anybody that is uh, watching online you're very welcome also to our service this morning a couple of little announcements and it's lovely to see Gail McClintock out this morning and looking so well it's fantastic and uh, but Kirk session meeting we'll be meeting via zoom on Tuesday night 13th of February at half past seven and uh, we know that you love the Kirk Session meeting, so we're going to have another one next Sunday morning at half past 10, just before the service. So Tuesday night, 13th of February, half past seven, and again next Sunday morning at half past 10. Life Lounge returns on Sunday the 25th of February, half past seven, when our very own Brian Gartland, he'll be our very special guest, and uh, waiting for Sophie will lead our worship. And in an attempt to reduce the announcements, uh, which we seem to be getting lots every week, we're tr uh, to try and reduce the number that need to be read out to those that are just really important, we'd like the congregation to use the order of service as a source uh, with regards to what's happening in our church. Um, and if you would like an announcement in the order of service, that is no problem at all. But if you can have it with Rene, before 11 o'clock on a Thursday uh, before it's due to be issued. So we're trying to just reduce the number of announcements. If you can put those that are maybe of secondary importance in the order of service and those of great importance, there's no problem reading them on a Sunday morning. Uh, the prayer evening will be Sunday the 18th of February at 7pm and that will be by Zoom as well. Let me start the service this morning by reading Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There are a couple of little verses for you. Um, but just focus our eyes on Jesus. Whatever you're going through, focus your eyes on Jesus. Think on what he was going through coming up to the time of the cross and the burden on his shoulders. And he kept his eyes focused on what would be achieved, the joy set before him, which is us which is what he received, is us coming to faith in him, us being restored to God. That was his joy. Now let's focus our eyes on Jesus. Whatever difficulty or whatever difficult time that you are going through at the moment, keep your eyes focused on him. Let's pray. Lord, you know who each of us are. You know, Lord, behind closed doors, the tears that are shed. You know, Father, the hurt in our hearts at times. You know, Father, just who we are better than we know ourselves. You know our tomorrows and our next day and the week and the, that lies ahead. You know hospital appointments that nobody else knows about. And yet, Lord, we thank you that you are there for us, that you are close to us, that you are by our side. 
that we can keep our eyes focused on you and you will walk faithfully by our side and hold our hand in every difficult moment. And we pray for this, Lord, for everyone in the future, in, in this week ahead. And uh, Lord, may we turn our eyes to you now and may we be encouraged and strengthened as you touch us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen. I'm going to stand and sing an oldie. Uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Very appropriate. girls like to come up to the front a wee minute great to see you brilliant take a pew <laughs> good to see you I'm going to read a wee bit out of the book of Joel in the Old Testament and I'm actually ordered to do this we to hear what he says Joel chapter 1 the word of the Lord that came to Joel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. So I have to tell you about what happened. Back in Joel's day, there were different prophets. They were men of God, and spoke on behalf of God. And 
they were telling the people, you've got to get back to God. You've got to listen to God. You've got to do what God wants you to do. And they were saying, ah, Joel, stop going on. You're always on that same old message. Would you stop going on? We're not interested. We've got our lives to live. We're not interested in what you have to say about God. And Joel warned them of the judgment of God coming. Then, boys and girls, you know what happened? What? That was great, Aunt Shows. You're listening? <laughs> they woke up one morning and they looked out their window and there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of locusts. Do you know what locusts are? They come and eat plants. We're going to have a wee look. This is what's similar to what... Yeah, we're going to put a wee video on. There's a locust there. We're going to put a wee video on to let you see what locusts can do to plants and vegetation. And this is typical of what happened that day. Locusts. They're normally solitary insects. But when there's an abundance of crops, their numbers can reach plague proportions. These flightless hoppers can form armies a kilometre long. But they have only just begun on their path of destruction. prevent the locusts from flying until eventually the swarm runs out of food and dies.
or two months. They stayed for years. So that, that, and Joel was saying, this is the judgment of God because you've ignored God, because you've taken no time for God. You're not interested in God. This has come upon you. And you know what? Do you know what were three things were very important to the people back in Israel in those days? These were the three things. Now, we don't find these all that important today, but back then, that was like their staple. It involved their lives so much, it was like their dad. Wine to drink, and wheat to make bread with, and olive oil. They used olive oil for so much, for cleaning, for, for cleansing on the skin, and for lighting, for their lights, their lamps, all sorts of things, cooking. So these things were vital. And what happened was when the, when the locusts came, the vineyards that made the wine were destroyed. The wheat fields where they could make the bread was annihilated. And all of the olive trees were eaten up by these locusts. So the three main things that they had in their lives were taken from them. And that was the judgment of God or the punishment of God. But you know what? When we come, and we'll just look at the next wee slide. When we, that leads us. That's the judgment of God in the Old Testament that you read about. And that's before the cross of Jesus. But after the cross, in the New Testament, we learn more than that. There's still the judgment of God there. But more than that, there is the love of God. We find out about the forgiveness of God, the grace of God. Anybody know what grace means? Apart from a girl's name. Anybody know what grace means? Grace means getting something that you don't deserve. For example, God loves me. I don't deserve that, but he does. That's grace. Or when I come to God for forgiveness, I don't deserve forgiveness, but he gives me forgiveness. So beyond the cross, it's very much about grace and forgiveness. And you know why? Because the cross is right in the middle. And Jesus, whenever Jesus died on the cross, every sinful thought, every sinful action, every sinful word that anyone had ever done, thought, or said was put on Jesus on the cross. And God, his Father, judged Jesus as if he was a sinner and he had never sinned. But he took all our sins on him so the judgment of God went on him. And that opened it up after that for us to come to Jesus and find forgiveness and find God's grace. Now, there's still judgment in the New Testament. There's still judgment hangs over anybody who rejects Jesus. But the grace of God is there and salvation is there. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we find that forgiveness and God's judgment passes over us and doesn't touch us. Isn't that wonderful? I can see you're upset. You're, you're convinced. Yes? Yeah? Okay, listen, you've done really well. So what we're going to do, we're going to sing a song. Now, and it's talked about his mercy is more. It talks about having sinned a lot, but yet 
God's mercy, God's something that he, we don't deserve, his love and his forgiveness is more than any of our sins. So we're going to stand and sing that we song, and then you can go out. Yes, you unicorn as well. You can go out to Sunday club. Okay. Okay. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more.
know, sometimes the hardest thing to do is forgive yourself for things you've done in the past. Uh, when God is willing to forgive you, but you can't forgive yourself, well, his mercy is more. And we've got to let go of it and trust him that he's forgiven us and he can't forgive us. So boys and girls, this day, fortnight, we're having an all-age family service again. Do you remember we dressed up last time with football kits? Yeah. Well, what I want you to bring this time is your favorite reading book. Bring your favorite story that maybe mum or dad read to you at night and you just love this storybook. I want to see what storybooks you like. Can you bring that two weeks' time? Great. You're free to go now. Okay. Your offering will be received. Thank you. Father, we thank you that all good gifts come from you. And how easy, like in the Old Testament, Joel's days, how easy it is to forget where the, the wine comes from and the wheat comes from and the oil comes from. Lord, our very breath comes from you. And we thank you for that. And we pray, God, that you would take these offerings of ours and that you would uh, use these offerings in such a way, Lord, that the message of your forgiveness and your grace and your love for people, Lord, will extend beyond these four walls into our community and even over, even over into Peru um, and over into Rwanda. And we say for ask these things in the name of Jesus, your precious Son. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, you are, as your word says, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. We're told that every hair in our heads are numbered, that you see when even the sparrow falls to the ground. We're told that you bow down to hear our prayers, that nothing is too great for you. Your loving kindness no one can measure. So we pray in unity this morning, in your presence, in your courts, through the blood of Jesus, your Son. We pray that you may renew your miracles in this place. Father, we believe, help our unbelief. Do in healing that which no other man can do. Do in hearts that which only your Spirit can do. Bring healing to those of our loved ones that are sick. Bring encouragement to those who are discouraged. Bring rest to those who are exhausted. And bring hope to each heart here this morning. Refresh us and fill us with your breath, O God. Because of Jesus, we have hope. We have hope for our families. We have hope for our friends. We have hope for our church. We have hope for our community. We have hope even for our enemies. Come thy long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Father, renew your miracles of healing and salvation in this place and in our local neighborhood. As a deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. May this be the cry of every heart here this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing, There is a Redeemer. Amen. 
series in Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 2. If you'd like to join me, if you have a Bible, open at Acts chapter 2, verses 14. I think I gave Chris to verse 37, but I'm actually going to go to verse 38. So Acts 2, verses 14 to 38. When Peter stood up with the eleven, he raised his voice, dressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, 
whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Last week we were looking at Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Just have put the wee uh, slides up there. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. We saw that Pentecost was originally a Jewish festival, a time to celebrate and thank God for the spring harvest. It was attended by thousands of Jews. They traveled from all arts and parts to Jerusalem. It was on this day of Pentecost, 10 days after Jesus actually ascended into heaven. And whilst the apostles were in the upper room, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a great violent wind, came into the room, rushing through the house. The ruach, or the breath of God, fell upon each person there and filled him. And accompanying the wind, there were what seemed like tongues of fire, which rested upon all of the disciples. And the fire of God in Scripture, it represents the very presence of God. The very presence of God was in that house, was in that very room. And before long, these disciples who had previously been very frightened about sharing their faith because of what might happen to them, suddenly they run down the stairs of the house and they push open the door and they rush into the streets and they begin to declare the wonderful works of God and share the gospel with every man and woman that is on the street there. There were people in Jerusalem for Pentecost from so many different areas of Israel, and they needed to hear the gospel in their own language. And these country bumpkins, past fishermen, most of them, and they became incredible linguists and spoke in the power of the Holy Spirit in languages that they had never spoken in before, and everyone heard the gospel, the good news of Christ in their own language. And everyone, we're told, was amazed. Some thought that they'd been drinking too much, and Peter went, no, it's only nine in the morning. And others were so inquisitive, they wanted answers. And it's there that we pick up where we left off last week. You know, Peter, the man who only 50 days earlier had denied even knowing Jesus, and now he was the vessel of God who was going to explain what was going on this day in Jerusalem. And when Peter got up this morning, he didn't know he was going to preach to thousands of people. He had no time to prepare, but he was so empowered by the Holy Spirit, he begins to preach, and his sermon has only one objective— he says, let all the house of Israel, that's all you guys, let all the house of Israel know that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. That was his one objective. I want you to know that in your evil ways that you put this man upon the cross and it turned out to be the worst thing you could have ever done because 
It was, he turns out to be Lord and Christ. But that was all God's planning and part of God's plan, as we know. And so he does, he, on, he undergirds his sermon by referring to three Old Testament prophecies. One's from Joel and two's from David. One from Joel, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and following. He quotes, he says, this, this, what's happening today is a prophecy fulfilled from Joel. Joel said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as we look through Acts, we'll see Peter very much receiving visions and guidance, and Paul as well, in dreams and so forth. You know, I, I can fully understand if you're a little reticent, um, a little unsure about the Holy Spirit. Um, we can understand God as our Father. We can get that easier. We can understand Jesus as a fellow human, yet son of God, but we can identify with him. He's got skin on. But the Holy Spirit, a little more vague, a little scary even for some of us. But I would like to reassure you that he is one part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'd like to reassure you that he's not someone to be frightened of. Jesus told his disciples, I must go back to heaven, and it's when I go back to heaven that I will send the Holy Spirit to you. Now, Jesus is never going to send anyone to you that is going to harm you. He is not harmful. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is described as our counselor. He's described as our comforter. He's described as our guide. The Greek word is our parakletos, which means one who comes alongside. One who comes alongside to guide you and teach you and support you and help you through difficult days. He's not someone to be afraid of. And when we receive Christ into our lives, we receive Christ's Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit to live in us the Spirit of Christ. He comes to live and to make his home in us. And Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? God's Spirit lives in you. He's made his home in you if you've received Christ. He's the guarantee or the down payment of what we're going to experience when we pass from earth to heaven. He's a little sample of what we're going to go into. And his job, while, we, with, while he's within us, is to make the Word of God come alive to us. To take this book and apply it to your hearts and lives and make you excited about it. And his job also is to make us more like Jesus. So don't be frightened by the Holy Spirit. He's your 
comforter. He's your counselor. He's your guide. He's your paracletos. You know, in the days of Joel, God's people just they turned their backs on God. We don't need him. Not interested. They turned away from him. And God longs. God longs. Breaks his heart for them to return to him. But they're not interested. So God sends these swarms of locusts which eat everything that's tasty and destroy the wheat and destroy the vines and destroy the olive trees. The locusts desecrate the land. For years they are there and they leave their destruction in their wake. And God promises so much to them if only they'll return. Return to me. But they're stubborn and they're hard-hearted and they're selfishly motivated. They simply don't have time and they ignore God's call to repentance. So next time an even greater army comes, far more powerful than any locusts, and the army is well equipped with these trained fighting men coming from the north, and it's probably a reference to Babylon, but they do much more damage than the locusts ever did. And Joel tells us that the land is the green of Eden. In other words, our land before these armies came to us was green and fertile like the garden of eden beautiful but when these guys come through with their chariots and with their spears and with their horses behind them is a desolate wilderness they leave this place like a desert but then god speaks and this is the grace of god because god keeps coming back no matter how many times man tells God to clear off, go away, not interested, clear off. No matter how many times, God just keeps coming back. And God comes back to them and he says um, that there's going to be a time of refreshment. There's going to be a time when I will refresh the land. I will restore everything to you. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. I'm going to give you those years back. And the Hebrew word for restore is, I'm going to pay back. I'm going to make up for. I'm going to repay. And the word has, has legal connotations, meaning compensation. God is saying, I'm going to compensate you for the years of the locusts, for the years that you have lost. I am going to compensate you. I'm going to pay you back. You know, God often has a double purpose in judgment. And one is obviously in his wrath to punish, in his wrath and anger. We see that a lot in the Old Testament. But God has another more constructive purpose, and that's to use his judgment as a discipline to bring the people to that place of emptiness, which I was talking about last week. We need to be brought back to that place of emptiness where we feel, God, we are so weak without you. We cannot do this without you. And often judgment, God uses judgment and his discipline to do that, to bring them to a place of recognizing that they're nothing without God. He's the source of their life. 
He's the source of their wine. He's the source of their wheat. He's the source of their oil. You know, as humans, we do have this built-in ability to feel self-sufficient. We teach our children to be self-sufficient, and that's, that's a really good thing. But we have a warped sense of reality if we think that we're totally self-sufficient and have no need of God. We have no need of the one who provides us with everything we need. We have a warped sense of reality if we think, I can handle everything this life is going to throw at me. I am totally self-sufficient. I don't need God. Well, that's ridiculous. You and I both know that life is very fragile indeed. And one moment you can be surfing the waves and having the time of your life. And the next moment you can find yourself in the valley of despair, in the depths of despair. Recognizing our emptiness and our need of God, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. Often God has to deflate our ego and bring us right back to that point where he reminds us who we are and where we fit in. The cross is a place where you could say it's as empty as you could get. As far as the onlooker was concerned, the cross was something which was a total and utter disaster. Here is this young man who did not, no harm to anybody, but did miracles, healed people, talked wonderful things. And here he is, hanging between two thieves. Everything went wrong. No, it didn't. Because God had it in his control. And in that place of, dis- of weakness came strength of resurrection. In that place of destruction came the power of God for all who believe. And God needs to sometimes bring us back to that place where we recognize God in my own strength. I can't even live the Christian life. In my own strength, I couldn't save myself. I can do nothing of any spiritual significance without you. I'm empty. And then I'm ready to be filled. You know, sometimes the surgeon has to cut in order to heal. And sometimes God has to cut. And sometimes it hurts in order for him to heal. And God says, I will repay. I will restore those lost years. I will do that for you. And when I've done that, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And it won't just be for leaders. It won't just be for the likes of Moses or King Saul, where the Holy Spirit came on them for a, to do a job and then left again. No, no, no. When you receive Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. God making his home in you. Not as a temporary resident, but permanently there until you and I go to be with Christ. 
man and woman, Jews, Gentiles, servants, slaves. Peter says, they'll all receive the Holy Spirit when they receive Christ. Do you know that an ancient Jewish prayer used to be of every Jewish man, as soon as day broke, he, he would get down on his knees every morning, and he used, to say, he used to say, I thank you, God, that I was not born a Gentile. I thank you, God, that I was not born a slave. And I thank you, God, that I was not born a woman. <laughs> so, <laughs> not too politically correct, I must say. <laughs> but it's going on a bit from there hasn't it? Because here Peter is saying the Holy Spirit is for all, for man, for woman, for slave, for servant, for free man, for everyone that receives Jesus Christ. All, as Joel says, who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter is saying, what you're seeing here today, the Holy Spirit, the fire and the wind, and these guys speaking fluent languages that they've never spoken before, what you see today is what was prophesied all those years ago by Joel. And then Peter focuses again on Jesus. He brings it back to Jesus. He says, you saw or you heard at least about the miracles he used to do. You saw or heard how he was delivered into the hands of lawless men and he was crucified, all of God's plan, of course. And I'm sure that you heard that God raised him from the dead. At least you heard some of the things going about in whispers. Death could not hold him. And Peter goes on to support his argument that Jesus was raised by quoting two mysterious psalms that could only be fulfilled by Christ. First psalm was Psalm 16, verse 8 to 11. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, or could be translated Hades or, or the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see decay. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Most of Psalm 16, David's speaking about his own human experience, about his own suffering. But in these verses, which Peter quotes, David is talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the one whom death could not hold, the one who would not see decay. Peter tells the crowd, David isn't talking about himself here. If you want to have a look, his grave's right over there. Go and see David's grave. He wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus he was talking about the Christ. And Jesus went to be by the Father's side only 10 days ago. 
and he did what he promised us he would do, he sends his Holy Spirit, and that's what today is happening before your very eyes. And then he quotes another psalm, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, that is, the Lord Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And Peter's saying, David wasn't talking about himself here again. He was not talking about himself because he never ascended into heaven. He never ascended into heaven. It was Jesus who ascended. David is referring only to the resurrected Messiah, namely Jesus. So Peter takes a deep breath, big deep breath, for the conclusion of his sermon. And he cries out, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is about the worst thing that you could have said to a Jew. What he is saying to them is, you have waited for thousands of years. You have met in the temple and did your sacrifices on a weekly basis. Generation after generation after generation, waiting, praying, longing for the Christ to come, for the Messiah to arrive. And he did arrive. And what did you do? You crucified him. You killed him. And we're told that, boy, they were cut to the heart. And they said, what, what must we do? And there's times that I've been cut to the heart when I think about it. And you might say, well, sure, why would you be cut to the heart, Mark? You weren't alive back then. Nothing to do with you. But it had a lot to do with me. Because of my sin, Jesus had to go to Calvary. Because of your sin, Jesus had to go there and be humiliated and be thrown against that piece of wood and hang there. If we never sinned, the whole thing wouldn't have been necessary. All of us carry some of that responsibility. And the people say, what shall we do, Peter? What shall we do? They really are cut to the quick. The one we've waited for for so long. And I'm sure there were many tears that day. The one we have waited for for so long. And we treated him so abominably. And we killed him. What must we do? And Peter says, Peter says, repent. Repent. To repent. I think many people here of people on the streets and they're running off to them going, repent, repent. I think that damages the actual understanding of that word. As if it's a hostile word. It's a very positive word. 
Because when you repent, you're turning from the sins that put Jesus on the cross, the sins in your life which cause misery and death anyway to you, and you're turning to something much more positive. You're turning to God. Turn away from the sin that put him on the cross and turn and ask forgiveness. Receive Christ. Make him your Lord and Savior. And Paul says you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or as Joel says, whoever calls, whoever calls, it's an open invitation. Don't ever say you never got an invite to heaven. And you stand before God and you say, oh, sorry, I never got an invite. I never knew. The invite is here. The invite is here. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Can I just say before we pray that uh, if there's anyone, please, 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 if there's anyone would like to put their trust in Christ this morning, say to me, and I come around and pray in your home or pray here, whatever, but don't leave without getting it settled. And they'll be thinking, well, people have thought I was a Christian for the last 30 years. I've known elders who've come to faith in Christ. And they've been an elder for 40 years, there was a man who came to faith in Christ. Don't let the pride of that stop you. Come and get to know Christ. Right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for Jesus. And Lord what he went through on that cross that your judgment could be redirected away from us onto him and that we would know the fruit and the joy of forgiveness of cleansing of guilt removed and of eternal life it's such a wonderful gift it's such a wonderful gift by your grace and Lord, if we were to sing from now into eternity, we couldn't thank you enough. Be with us, Lord. Lead us. Replenish any years that have been wasted. These years of COVID, Father, which have, have been tough, restore unto us the years that have been wasted. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and worship God with it's a wonderful song. I love it. It is an oldie, but it's let's sing, let's lift the roof with how great thy art.
Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.